Corks Red FM. Good evening. Welcome to the Big Red Bench for Saturday evening. It's Colm O'Sullivan and Tomas O'Leary with you until 7 o'clock on a very, very busy Saturday of sport. Loads of stuff going on. Uh, we're just watching the Ireland game. Still ongoing. Ireland are leading 13-6 there. Big day in the Premier League as well. Another big win for Liverpool, which puts them even further ahead at the top of the table um, as they just kind of decide uh, when they want to be crowned champions at this stage. Lots of other games in the Premier League to get through as well. We'll hear from snooker legend Ken Doherty as well. We're looking ahead to Cork City's brand new season and chatting to manager Neil Fenn about some of their new signings that they made during the week. And we'll be chatting to Andrew Horgan ahead of Cork's big game tonight as well in the hurling. Yeah, so as I said, it's Colm O'Sullivan and uh, Tomás O'Leary with you until 7 o'clock. Loads of stuff going on. We're sitting in studio here, Tomás, and we've been monitoring this rugby game since it started. It's Ireland 13, Scotland 6 after 50 minutes. Um, not as convincing probably as we thought earlier on. No, certainly not. I would have thought that Ireland would have uh, been in for an easier day at the office. Um, looks like Scotland are putting them under pressure, playing a lot of the better rugby as well. And probably, especially in the first half, left some opportunities behind. Um, so yeah, look, it's worrying times for an Irish point of view. But um, look, there's a long way to go yet in this game. Um, and Scotland certainly seem to be don't don't seem to be abating in terms of they're on the attack uh, again now. Oh. Yeah, try for Stuart Hogg in the corner there. Um, so, look, all the momentum seems to be with Scotland. And like I said, they're playing the better rugby. Um, so, look, there's still time to go. Um, I think, you know, this team under Farrell won't panic. But, um, yeah, look, should should be an interesting afternoon. Should be an interesting kind of um, next kind of kind of second half. The rest of it really, we'll see how it goes. But uh, it's very, very tight. And Scotland kind of in the ascendancy at the moment there. But a lot of other stuff going on today as well. And as I said, it's a matter of... When, not if, Liverpool win the Premier League at this stage? Yeah, look, it's become a little bit boring, unfortunately. And yeah. I know the Premier League is, and we're normally used to, you know, big teams, you know, going tete a tete. Um, and, and you'd like the United, Chelsea, City, all these teams. But unfortunately, um, you know, United, Chelsea have fallen away. Obviously, City have been very good the last few years. But this year, unfortunately, they're not living up to the standards of Liverpool. So look, looks like Liverpool fans wait for that holy grail of a Premiership title is finally gonna, gonna, gonna kind of come to fruition. Four nil again today against Southampton, and I mean it's it's relentless from Liverpool. Um, they're they're unbeaten. There's talk now they might emulate Arsenal's run in 2005 as invincibles and go the whole season as invincible, unbeaten. Um, they haven't been beaten, I think, in the Premier League since January of last year, which was against Man City, and that was the only game they lost last season. So if they hadn't lost that game last season, they'd, they'd have gone through the whole the, the, the unbeaten season last season, and uh, and then again this season. I mean, they're absolutely unstoppable at the moment. But it, but is it good for the league overall? Do you think? I suppose from a spectator's point of view and a neutral point of view, look, I'm a Spurs fan, but I wouldn't get overly excited about the soccer anymore because, like you said. Going back to that kind of Invincibles team and the United team that they had at the time, you know, there was a lot of characters and yeah. seemed to be a lot more personality in football. I think that's gone for whatever reason. Uh, maybe there's a bit more of a foreign influence, whereas back then it was a heavily UK based and a few Irish players thrown in too. Um, obviously, you had you know the, the likes of Cantona, Perez, all these guys. Um, you know, strong French influence in Arsenal. Um, but at the moment, I just think because uh, Liverpool are so far ahead. Um, you know they're just like a machine and look from from neutral point of view it's boring so 
Um, look, but I suppose from a Liverpool point of view, if you're a Liverpool fan, you're delighted with that. If you're a Liverpool fan, let's check out what happened at Anfield today then. Um, so yeah, at Anfield today, 4-0 as we said, and Shane Pennington had a report from Anfield. Liverpool 4, Southampton 0, and there's now 100 points taken from the last 102 available for Jurgen Klopp's runaway leaders. As Liverpool extend their vantage at the top to 22 points after a dominant second-half display. Southampton missed four guilt-edged chances to take the lead before one of their ex-players, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, fired Liverpool in front. And then further goals from Jordan Henderson and two from Mo Salah confirmed the win to leave the Liverpool fans singing, we're going to win the league. And it's hard to disagree in the position they find themselves in now. Liverpool 4, Southampton 0. And meanwhile, Brighton came from 2-0 down to draw 3-all against West Ham. And Guy Swindles has a report from the London Stadium. West Ham 3, Brighton 3. And in the match against the big relegation rivals, West Ham twice threw away two goal leads. 2-0 up after the first half through Diop and Snodgrass. And own goal made sure that it was a nervous time. However, Snodgrass with his second deflected goal made it 3-1. West Ham were cruising, but with 15 minutes to go, a mess up at the back saw gross just cut that deficit and then after a long VAR decision eventually Murray was uh, adjudged to have scored the equaliser West Ham 3 Brighton 3 Andrew Cheel was at Vicarage Road where it finished Watford 2 Everton 3 Watford 2 Everton 3 Everton fought back courageously from 2 down to win it through Theo Walcott squeezing in at the far post in the 90th minute Messina and Pereira the scorers for Watford to put them 2 up but Yerry Mina scrambled 1 and had a free header to level on the stroke of half time Fabian Delft straight red for a late high challenge left his team hanging on until Walcott had the last word Watford 2 Everton 3 and it finished Crystal Palace nil, Sheffield United 1 we have Ian Beach reporting Crystal Palace nil, Sheffield United won a scrappy goalkeeper's own goal deciding this uninspiring match Crystal Palace's Vicente Guaita dropping a corner while facing his own goal line the automatic technology signalling to the referee the ball had crossed to give Sheffield United the decisive winner technology was involved again later Crystal Palace defender Joel Ward shown a red card but referee Andy Madley changed it to a yellow after watching the replay Crystal Palace nil, Sheffield United won and the only scoreless game of the day was from James's Park, where it was Newcastle nil, Norwich nil, and Stephen Goldsmith was there. Newcastle nil, Norwich nil. A game without goals, but high on chances. Pookie with at least three for Norwich, in which he should be scoring. The two keepers, Cruel and Dubravka, played well and made good saves. In fact, too many between them to list. Almiron had a contender for miss of the season in the first half, heading wide with the Norwich goal at his mercy. Somehow, it finished Newcastle nil, Norwich nil. And Chelsea have consolidated their position in the top four in the early kickoff this afternoon. They drew 2-0, 2-all in the lunchtime kickoff with third place Leicester, thanks to a couple of goals from centre-back Antonio Rudiger. Full-time Leicester City 2, Chelsea 2, an engrossing encounter ends with a share of the spoils. Antonio Rudiger nodded Chelsea ahead just 40 seconds into the second half before goals from Harvey Barnes and Ben Chilwell turned the game on its head. Rudiger bulleted a header past Casper Schmeichel to level again. Johnny Evans and Barnes were then guilty of missing absolute sitters before Rudiger handled in the box in stoppage time. But no penalty was given. It's finished here. Leicester City 2, Chelsea 2. So a busy day in the Premier League over Altamos and um, Chelsea and Leicester their Leicester looked earlier in the season like they might do something of a title challenge again but I mean even to be third in the league and the, the position they have they're almost barring a miracle from United or one of the teams below them they're almost guaranteed a top four spot at this stage Brendan Rodgers is doing a great job there at Leicester isn't he? Yeah it's phenomenal what they've achieved and 
I guess the winning the Premier League was just a, a freak result, really, but yeah. like fully deserved. But to maintain that um, standard and, like you said, to be kind of top three uh, team in, in England at this stage with, I suppose, a relatively small budget compared to the five or six traditionally big teams in, in England, it's a phenomenal achievement. Um, Brendan Rodgers, obviously, I think what he achieved in Celtic was probably... Um, dismissed because the Scottish Premiership might be perceived as being weak, but not many managers have have kind of you know had a, had a, you know so many so much success in in Scotland either. So you can tell even by the t- his time in Liverpool years ago, he played a great brand of football and he was very much well liked by the that kind of great Liverpool team as well. So yeah, I think Leicester have done a trick there getting him in. Um, and we see teams below them, the likes of Manchester United and so on. Um, spending much bigger money and then they just can't break into the top four it's United in action against Wolves now at the moment 37 minutes on the clock there and uh, still scoreless there United and Wolves at Old Trafford so um, we'll see what happens there but Brendan Rodgers I heard him mention during the week as a, as a possible candidate for a United manager if, if Solskjaer was to go but you're suggesting someone else a little while ago Pochettino yeah look I suppose we were chatting off air you know, obviously you're a, a much suffering United fan at the moment um, <laughs> a lot of suffering for any United fan these days yeah like I, I suppose I've spoken about it already here and I'm a Spurs fan and I think we should have tried to hold on to Pochettino I think he's a great fit for United taking Spurs to Champions League Cup Final illustrates his abilities as a manager um, and, and the team he developed in Spurs look it's starting to maybe break up a bit I don't think Rodgers is going to move at this stage from from Leicester. Yeah. It would be an unbelievable. I think he'd be a great option for for United. It'd be a great coup too. But when Pochettino's readily available, you know, after the summer or in the summer, I think they'll they'll probably go to him. Because Rodgers has done all wherever he's went. He did well at Liverpool. Would have won the league there, bar Steven Gerrard slip. A lot of people would say um, he's done very well at Celtic and now doing well at Leicester. But uh, Pochettino has been touted big time. But Solskjaer might be there um, next season again. But in the rugby, still it's uh, Ireland thirteen, Scotland nine at the moment, and a penalty here from Sexton Tomas. If you want to talk us through it, yeah, look, sixteen. 69 now sex in front of the post I guess um, our Scotland's captain Stuart Hogg dropped a sitter in the corner when we were saying earlier he scored but it was the, it was the equivalent of a, a tapping in, yeah. in a soccer game and being skipper he was probably a bit um, you know too, too laid back with it and he'd be kicking himself because that would have given Scotland a lot of momentum Ireland have gone up the field after after multi-phase and I suppose like traditional Ireland teams just ground out a penalty um, so seven point lead for Ireland and probably lucky to to be in that position courtesy of uh, I suppose Jert Hogg's poor effort in the corner so look interesting start from from, from Ireland's point of view um, I suppose just going to take time for Farrell to implement his, his kind of yeah. change and his imprint on this Irish team and I think just coming out of the first day in the Six Nations with a with a victory will I think will at this stage certainly please him. A win a win is a win as we say, um and there's there's still twenty minutes left or so, but I mean sixty nine at the moment now. Johnny Sexton's first game as captain, he kicked it off with a try. That's gonna be a boost to him in his first game, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think he's probably the right choice. Um he's achieved everything in the game really, bar obviously a World Cup yeah. with Ireland, but I don't think any but any Irish player is gonna achieve that the <laughs> record in, in kind of World Cups. You know, he's player of the year last year. Um, and naturally he's uh, he's a leader he makes decisions anyway and he's out half yeah. position there has been question marks I guess over his temperament and mm. how he deals with referees but I definitely think he's the right choice as captain Peter Romani unfortunately was on the bench from his point of view so he doesn't seem to be any longer guaranteed he's place you know, it wasn't so. long we brought on the way things panned out though yeah, unfortunately for Caelan Doris yeah. um, I think his first play of the game was a, was a steal and a penalty and then fortunately then it was a clash of heads and got, got, got knocked out so 
Um, but look, he's he's 21. He'll, he'll have plenty more days in green and disappointing to start from his point of view. But Stander probably moving back to eight has had one of his better games and he's probably been one of the better players today for, for Ireland. So um, still a lot of competition for for his uh, number eight spot, really. So, um, yeah, interesting and good to see Peter back on the pitch too. Definitely. A uh, bit, bit to go yet there at the Aviva Stadium. It is 58 minutes on the clock now. Ireland 16, Scotland 9. Uh, Tomás, the under-20s were in action last night as well. Yeah, a fantastic win. Um, you know, a high-scoring, high-scoring game. And, um, like, uh, it's great to see it, it, it down in, um, in Musgrave Park. Um, you know, massive crowd again. And I know from chatting a few of the 20s players last year, that is very exciting, um, you know, opportunity for them to play in front of a packed house and maybe get prepared for professional rugby. So, um, like I suppose they earned, earned a bonus point win, scoring six tries in total, and the game finished thirty-eight. Ireland, Scotland, twenty-six, and Noel Mark McMara spoke to Red FM Sport after the game. This is what he had to say: "There's aspects of the performance that we'd be really pleased with, and I think it's fair to say that there's lots of things that we can uh, we can develop further as well. So, from that perspective, it's probably a good place to be. I think, to be honest about it, you know, the conditions were challenging." Um, it was a really strong breeze um, and uh, that one, no yeah absolutely yeah I think you saw it in particular with us in the first half so I, I thought we played really really well in the first half I thought we kept hold of the ball well um, you know and, and, and exited well a couple of times as well considering the conditions and you know to, to score those three tries in the first half we, we probably went in at half time feeling that we were in a really good position um, I think in the second half we, we just probably struggled to control the momentum of the game a little bit um, you know some of our some of our kicking and some of our decision making just wasn't where it needed to be um, and you know you've got to give a lot of credit to Scotland as well you know they're, they're decent sides they're a good side and they're going to cause teams problems in this championship I, I think understanding that Italy are very very good at this level is important you know and um, it it's always you know the first game there's always that unknown uh-huh. unknown quantity uh, first of all the yeah absolutely yeah. And, and, and you know it was exactly the same for us tonight so I, I no doubt Wales will be better for the experience I no doubt they'll be smarting from that they, uh, they don't lose that often in Colwyn Bay so um, they're certainly going to present us with a big challenge next Friday night I've no doubt about that I think certainly some of our decision making and uh, you know as I mentioned already particularly around, around the, the momentum when we had momentum uh, maybe using the weather conditions as well um, you know we probably haven't trained in, in, uh, in very windy conditions having the indoor surface up in, uh, in Abbottstown is probably spoiling us a little bit um, so yeah I, I think there's, there's definitely uh, there's definitely things around the rock as well we probably could be a little bit quicker um, you know in terms of, of our own speed of ball and our ability to play with a little bit more width um, you know at times I think when, when we did a quick ball and we were very very difficult to contain um, we probably just didn't achieve that often enough yes Thomas is, is very very quick uh, you know he's demonstrated that already in the AIL he's a superb try for Shannon um, a few weeks ago where he got a restart and, and went to length of the pitch but you know it's not just Thomas there, there are other guys uh, in, in the four pack there that have, that have serious serious wheels you know the reality with, with Jack is he's been playing consistently with Corcon and AIL and he's been playing well um, you know there was there were some really positive aspects obviously it's eye catching when anyone runs uh, the, the length he did to score but equally there's areas for him to tighten up you know there was a couple of turnovers and a couple of things that he won't be happy with in his own performance so um, I think that's the, the overarching thing you would say you know there was there was lots of positives for us but it's only green shoots it's one game um, you know so nobody's getting carried away and, and, and Jack's in exactly the same boat some score then yeah it was absolutely yeah, it, was, it was an interesting one you, you, you know when, when um, Scotland were capable of attacking for long periods of time um, you know they kept the ball well and they attacked but when they turned over the ball they were particularly vulnerable um, and, and that really demonstrated it there and it's one of the frustrations I would have had in the second half is that you know we didn't take advantage when they turned over the ball in the second half um, you know they, they were starting to 
to, to sucking seagulls a little bit a few times and we probably weren't as clinical as, as uh, we might have been in those instances. Mm. You know, without it, the 20s would be in serious, serious strife. You know, it's an absolutely fantastic competition for our young players. You know, you look at every single one of them out there and every one of them have already played consistently for their club and, and not just played but performed. Mm. Um, it, it's challenging playing with men, against men. And, you know, it was interesting talking to Sean O'Neill before the game where... You know, they've, they've introduced the Super Sixes in Scotland. So they're actually trying to create a club competition where they can bridge that gap to their young players. We're lucky we have it, you know, and, and uh, we have some, some excellent coaches. We have some, uh, some really, really good, um, you know, good level of competition. So, um, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, hugely grateful for, for the competition and, and for, for what it does for, for young players. I think there's a good balance um, I think communication is really important and I think that's something that's improving all the time but you know there, there's, there's no question for, for, for forwards for nines for tens for everybody really you know it's hugely beneficial you look at you know someone like Luis uh, Faria there who came on in the second half he, he's been playing consistently with Trinity over the course of the last two years um, you know you look at Joe McCarthy who came on and I, I thought had a telling impact on the game when, when we were probably struggling a little bit for momentum a huge moment that led to the score um, you know Joe has played every single AIL game for Trinity so far this year so, um, you know, I, I think certainly for, for the development of our young players, for the development of our academy players, I can't st- uh, stress enough how important AIL is. And, uh, you know, for us, it's about continuing to improve the level of communication and, and, and the season calendar, uh, I think, is the key. You give a lot of credit to the boys, how they defended. Uh, you know, there was, I think there was four reset scrums, um, you know, and, and uh, it was probably, um, you know... Uh, a little bit of a, of, of a system error in the end to let them in. You know, they didn't look like they were going to be able to uh, to, to, to score in, in, in that. So, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating. As I mentioned already, I give credit to the Scottish side. Uh, you know, don't be under any illusions. This is a good Scottish team. Um, you know, one of the best I've seen over the last uh, two, three years. And, and um, you know, I, I think they're they're going to take uh, they're going to take some stopping. You know, you look at you look at some of their forwards and the pace they put onto the ball. The back three were very very dangerous. Um, you know, so I can see them getting better and better through the competition as well. Yeah, so that's Noel McNamara speaking to Red FM Sport. We had Rory down there last night. The Ireland under-20s getting a bonus point, scoring six tries as they beat um, Scotland 38-26 last night in Irish Independent Park here in Cork. And uh, in the senior game now at the moment in the Aviva Stadium, Ireland and Scotland, nothing much has happened since we last updated you about five minutes ago. It is still Ireland 16, Scotland 9. It's Cullum and Tomás O'Leary on the big red bench. And um, Tomás, I mean, there's not a whole lot happening, is there? No, like it's uh, a tough, tough dogged. Um, Scotland team are causing Ireland a lot, of, a lot of trouble finding it hard to get momentum in attack interesting from an Irish point of view John Cooney has come on at 9 I suppose a lot of fans would have been uh, calling for that yep. change um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see in the last 20 minutes now whether he can have the same impact that he's had in the last few Ulster games obviously a fantastic attacking player I think you'll find that international rugby there's not as much space so hopefully he'll go well though um, look it's just a dogged game a lot of mistakes on both sides and Scotland don't seem to be um, going away too easily so hopefully um, Ireland can maybe get another score or two and come out in the right end of the result There was a lot of talk about Cooney in the last few weeks and that he might have actually been starting the game and possibly in contention to start the game is this a chance for him to take his place there for next week do you think? Yeah I think it is like Murray has done okay in the first half um, without setting the world alight um, but I think you know Ireland did a much momentum to be fair um, didn't have much ball in attacking the first half he kicked okay um, so look obviously he's experienced two Lions tours 67 or 8 caps or whatever it is I think he probably deserved the, the start but yeah definitely if Cooney can I guess you know make a good impact um, off the bench here 
you know, especially next week against Wales, might have an opportunity to start, but I think he'll have to do something pretty special. Yeah, inject a bit of life into the game. Uh, Ireland 16, Scotland 9 and 64 minutes on the clock there now. Myself at Tomas, keeping you up to date on that um, for the next 15 minutes or so. And uh, we'll chat about the, uh, the match afterwards as well. And look ahead to that Wales game next weekend. But uh, we're moving codes now. We're switching away from rugby and we're going to chat a bit of snooker because during the week, uh, producer Ryan, who is uh, putting the show together for us today, he chatted to Irish snooker legend and 1997 world champion Ken Doherty to talk about his career, talk about becoming a commentator with the BBC and uh, the modern snooker game. And Ryan is a huge snooker fan and a huge Ken Doherty fan. So uh, Ryan, um, like, were you starstruck doing this interview? Oh, completely, yeah. And I let, I let him know it as well. I think right at the very end, I kind of mentioned that it was a bit of a dream come true. But I know, like, in fairness, I'm a huge Suker fan and he kind of tell you not to meet your heroes. Je- Ken was an absolute gent. Yeah. I swear to God, I messaged him at about, I'd say maybe 12 o'clock and this was right after the Masters had ended yeah. and he was at the United game the night before United-Burnley last week. <clears throat> And he, he, probably, he probably wasn't in the best of form after that match, to be he, fair. He probably wasn't, to be fair. And he literally, he got back on to me by about half past four. And he was like, yeah, give me a bell after six o'clock. And Brilliant. we chatted, I'd say, for about a half hour. You'll hear it now. He's, he's not all a half hour, obviously. But um, um, but he chatted to me for a good while now. And he was just he was so, so good. I was, it was great. Ryan, what's your highest break in snooker? My highest yeah. break? Oh, uh, I, I think one time I got kind of low 30s, but that was about it. Are you much of a snooker player, Tomas? I think my highest break is about 16 in the uh, Vic. I won't even from, mention when it's in the Vic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. myself and Tomas, that was Christian's boys, would, would have spent a bit of time in the Vic back in the day. Um, we'll actually mention Christian's, they were playing during the week as well in just a little while. But back to Ken Doherty, and here is part one of that interview, Ken Doherty chatting to Ryan. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by legendary Irish snooker player and commentator Ken Doherty. Ken, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, my pleasure. I suppose before we dive into your professional career, Ken, if you wouldn't mind just taking us back just to your roots in snooker and I suppose when you first chose to pick up a cue. Oh my God, you're going back a long time now. <laughs> uh, well, I started, uh, first of all, uh, when I saw Pop Black, uh, oh, that was in the late 70s. Uh, I first saw Pop Black on TV and that was the first time I saw Alex Higgins. And... Uh, I was just mesmerised by him. You know, he's such a charismatic player. He's so fast and great to watch. And uh, I was about eight years of age and I wanted a snooker table from Santa that year. And lo and behold, at the bottom of my bunk bed, there was a small little two foot by one foot snooker table. And uh, I've been hooked ever since. So that, that, <laughs> that's how it all started, yeah. Did you find it came naturally to you, Ken? Or was it a case of kind of uh, dedicating hours and hours there? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of took it up naturally. I mean, I used to play a lot of errors as well, but, you know, and, and started to play. In J- I was lucky because Jason's, which was a new club, in, you know, just on my doorstep in Renla, uh, and we had another uh, snooker club called uh, Nats. Nat, Nat Ryan uh, owned that one, and it was like three full-size tables in there, and then he converted it into like uh, six small, uh, six-by-three tables. And so there was, there was plenty of... Uh, tables to play on in uh, in Renlet just on my doorstep and that's how you know it seemed to be very fashionable at the time it was in the uh, beginning of the boom and it was coming on TV it was coming more and more on TV and of course because of Alex Higgins as well Higgins made it so popular in the 70s and the 80s uh, and when he won the World Championship in 82 and then of course Dennis won it in 85 well then that was the height of snooker uh, back in the 80s and it was just amazing everybody was playing so there was always loads of people to play and and I just sort of kept playing. I used to have to stand on a little sort of uh, biscuit tin, you know, when I first went into Jason's. And uh, 
but when I start beating some of the older boys, you know, they used to hide the biscuits in on me, so it made it more difficult sort of to play <laughs> on the full size tables. But uh, I had hours of fun going in there every day. I mean, I'd get off the bus uh, coming home from Western Row. The bus would stop in Renla, I'd run straight past the house, wouldn't even go to the house, straight into Jason's. School bag would go under the table. I'd like clean the, out the ashtrays, I'd sweep the floor, do a bit of hoovering just to get a free game, you know, on, on the uh, on the pool table or on the snooker table or a few games of like Space Invaders or on the pinball machine, you know, and then uh, <laughs> yeah, my mother would be running around like from the house then to, to, you know, chase me out, Jason, to get home and do me homework and have me dinner and then go to bed and then. And then start another day, you know. But that that was my life during the seventies and the early eighties, you know. I actually read a few years back, Ken, that you you've ended up playing a lot of your career with a warped queue because of a queue you chose <laughs> yeah. in Jason's. Is that true? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the queue I have and the queue I still have today. Um, I picked it up when I was about ten or eleven in Jason's, and it was it wasn't a house queue because I, I didn't have my own queue at the time, and I knew all the house queues, and I used to try and get the best one. Uh, and somebody had left this behind and uh, I picked it up and started playing with it and I loved it and I asked the manager I said if nobody came back and because it wasn't a house queue somebody had left it behind I said nobody comes back uh, I said can I keep it you know and it's broad Dublin accent he says well if you give us a fiver for it you can keep it you know now I was only about 10 or 11 at the time and uh, anyway I ran around to my mother and asked her uh, I told her that I'd make it up I'd do some jobs and I'd give her the money back <laughs> you know and uh, I promised her I said it's a beautiful queue and I said I played with her anyway she gave me the money even though money was quite tight at the time uh, and I changed the five pounds into five pounds the old pound notes you know and I put three in one pocket and two in one and I went around and put the poor face on and said put my hand in my right pocket said look my mother only had two pounds you know and, <laughs> you haggled uh, a bit yeah, did you the other, the, yeah haggled yeah you had to haggle you know but that was <laughs> That was what you learned from going into new clubs at such an early, early age. You know, you learned the sort of tricks of the trade. Of course. Anyway, uh, you know, if he if he wanted the fiver, the three pound was coming out of the left pocket as quick as as quick as you could say, uh, as quick as he could ask for it. You were but, going uh, home with that queue anyway, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he looked at two pound, looked at the queue, and says, "Give me the two pound." You know, and I have that queue ever uh-huh. since, and everything I've ever everything I've ever won is is with that two pound queue. So, and it is a little bit warped in the middle as well. I mean, when I roll on the table, it's sort of it's sort of so you can see the warp in it, you know. But it's uh, it's served me well over the years, you know. I have it now forty years, I think now altogether. Ken, obviously your game then from Jason's and that kind of upbringing you develop, you graduate to winning kind of Irish and World Amateur Championships. What were those days like in your career? Oh, it was incredible! I mean, one the first big one was uh, you know winning the professional uh, the World uh, Junior Championship, which was under twenty one, but it was. 
Uh, and uh, he said to me, he says, can I keep the trophy just for a few photographs? I'll give it back to you, you know? I says, yeah, no, keep the trophy. I just had the cup, the perpetual cup, but not the trophy that you keep, you know? So he took that back to London, and uh, I never saw him again. <laughs> he kept the trophy. Well, my name is on the perpetual cup, and uh, that's how I won the World uh, Junior Championships in Iceland, you know? But he paid it for everything, and I, and I won a, a couple of thousand for winning, so I was happy, you know? You know I didn't mind about the trophy, but... That's how I won that. And then I won the World Amateur Championships in uh, December 1989. And then, of course, that gave me the ticket to come professional. But, uh, yeah, some, it's amazing how things, you know, happen in your life, you know, that you don't expect. And it turns out to be sometimes good things, sometimes real. But in this case, it's, it seemed to be a good thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. We actually had a young player from Cork, uh, Ken, named Ross Bullman on the show just before Christmas. He spoke to us kind of about he's kind of at that stage in his career where he's playing in amateur competitions and trying to get that tour card and turn professional did you yeah, find that yeah, transition yeah, yeah. difficult he said it's quite hard it's to very, actually break through it, it is these very days. difficult it is very difficult and uh, I mean he was very very unlucky last year he only lost out by one frame you know and he's such a such a nice young lad talented boy and it would have been a great uh, achievement for him to get on the tour in his first attempt you know uh, but he, he's done he's won some good matches even though he's got a few invitations and stuff like that you know so yeah it's very very difficult and I found it very difficult the first year I never qualified and I had to and that's only when I won the World Amateur Championship the second year uh, after I left school that uh, that was that, that gave me the sort of ticket to, to go on to the pro circuit but it, it was very very difficult as well you turned pro in 1990, you of course went on to win six ranking tournaments, which of course includes the 1997 World Championship. It's obviously a career highlight of yours. Could I ask how it felt to be, you were the first person to beat Stephen Hendry in a world final at the Crucible Theatre. How did that feel, Ken? That was incredible because, uh, you know, at the time he was, you know, he had won five in a row and uh, I was trying to um, stop him from winning six in a row. And uh, obviously, I was a massive underdog. But I had beaten a few times, you know, in finals and different stages of different competition. I wasn't sort of completely like a rabbit in headlights or afraid of him, you know. And uh, I sort of believed in myself. And that, that's the key, I think, in any sport is like to have the belief and the sort of, uh, you know, I, I always had a dream that, you know, one day I'd be lifting the cup like Higgins was or Dennis Taylor uh, did, like back all those years ago. And I could see myself lifting it and that sort of gave me a calmness and a confidence and I went out there and I played with a smile on my face and I think that sort of you know I was laughing and joking with the crowd and it sort of took a bit of pressure off me he sort of uh, it sort of unnerved him because nobody had sort of done that to him before you know in all the finals and I think you know it sort of worked to my advantage and I got the crowd on my side and, and I just played like played out my skin and, and uh, ended up getting you know, five three lead, then a eleven uh, five lead, uh, then a fifteen seven lead, and, and eventually he did come back to fifteen twelve. But I ran out an eighteen twelve winner in the end, which is quite comfortable. But uh, those last few frames, I think, were the most nervous I've ever been because you were so close, but he was coming back all the time. And uh, just to get over the line, well, you know, it, it was just uh, it's like all your birdies and and uh, dreams come together all at once you know it was just a, a magnificent feeling you know and to take the cup home back to Dublin and, and to an open top bus you know through the city and back to Renla and a big party in Renla it was just like uh, yeah incredible you know 
It's Ken Doherty. That's part one of our interview with Ken Doherty uh, chatting to producer Ryan about uh, his career and about his life and so on. And uh, we get part two of that for you probably on the show tomorrow night. Um, Ken Doherty's a big Manchester United fan and they're in action right now against Wolves in the Premier League. It's the late evening kickoff in the Premier League. Halftime at Old Trafford. It remains Manchester United nil, Wolves nil. So no goals for United there uh, so far today. There has been more points on the board though at the Aviva Stadium. Um, it's now Ireland's 19 Scotland 12 75 minutes on the clock um, Tomás it's pretty much wrapped up there Johnny Sexton added another penalty before he went off but um, Ireland will be just glad to get this one over and done with I think Yeah I don't know about being wrapped up yet um, Scotland are, are doing <laughs> their best to, to get over the over the try line um, it's probably a case of Scotland's indiscipline yeah. causing them uh, kind of hassle really Ireland haven't played particularly well um, you know they gave away crazy penalty really for kind of obstructing Andrew Conway from chasing a pretty poor kick um, and I suppose the first few penalties of the of the half that they gave away were for not rolling away so there's kind of nine points there soft points that they've given to Ireland um, but yeah they haven't given up on it yet and if they, they haven't they, they, I mean there's a bit of danger here now the way, the way Scotland are attacking so we'll see how that transpires we're going to take a break um, and we come back with you hopefully uh, towards the end of the rugby match it's Cullum and Tomas on the big red bench on Cork's Red FM yeah it's Cullum O'Sullivan and Tomas O'Leary on the big red bench um, Tomas as you're watching this match and you're looking back at your own days playing for Ireland I mean can you remember kind of nervy games like this yeah look Scotland were probably always a difficult enough side to, to face because you're expected to win the game um, particularly when they lost Finn Russell all the talk was about that um, CJ Standard obviously you know had a poach there on our own line with three minutes left and Ireland celebrated like they'd won the Six Nations that kind of gives <laughs> evidence enough of how difficult the game it has been and he, he's just been named man of the match as well um, probably Ireland's best player yeah. so fair juice to him after we moved to six initially obviously he ended up playing the whole game eight but um, that kind of illustrates the celebration there on their own trial and illustrates how difficult it's been uh, and Scotland haven't gone away so um, look it's all about getting a win particularly for Andy Farrell's first start and I think at this stage as ugly as it's been Ireland really won't care once once they just finish this game with a win A win is a win for Ireland here at the Viva Stadium um, Scotland though have looked well up for it from the very first minute really haven't they? Yeah I think they, they probably had a lot of the possession in the first half um, probably didn't get like get, not getting over the try line really um, um, especially then in the second half when Stuart Hogg could have dotted down for a pretty simple finish um, and your most experienced and traditionally most dangerous back um, letting that one drop was probably uh, kind of set you know, maybe lost the, the wind from behind their sails and gave Ireland a bit of an impetus as well so they had their chances but I think their indiscipline really cost them they lost the penalty count they gave away stupid penalties and Ireland just kind of did what Ireland do and, and took their chances like I said kicking penalties interesting enough though they, they ended up taking off Sexton after yep. 73 minutes so maybe an indication of the Farrelly era that he's going to go and trust the likes of Ross Byrne and the likes of Cooney at scrum half so um, there's a chance for these kind of players to, to make an impact Is that a positive do you think under Andy Farrell that he is going to utilise these guys? I think so um, look I suppose the next World Cup obviously is a long time away but um, you have to kind of reward the likes of Ross Byrne for his form at Leinster John Cooney for his form at Ulster and probably would not, wouldn't have happened uh, under Schmidt um, they would yeah. have probably let Murray and Sexton try and see out the game Cooney I think has, has kicked well in particular a few d- decent clearance kicks um, easing the pressure and look Ross Byrne has a very little to do when he defends so um, but look, look, good start to the campaign, you know, a decent win against Scotland and move on to next week against Wales. We were speaking off air earlier on about 
Joe Smith and Andy Farrell and how they're different characters and how Andy Andy Farrell kind of seems like a, a more relaxed kind of guy. That was even evident during the week in the, in the press conference, the way he was speaking, the way the player, players speak about him, the way he named the team earlier in the week than Joe Smith would have. Um, very different characters. Yeah, no, I think Farrell... I suppose he, he started playing rugby league when he was 17 and was playing with Great Britain Ireland when he was like under 20 and he was their captain at 21. Um, so a very mature guy from a young age. Um, he's, I suppose he's only in his early 40s. He's achieved a lot as a coach already. Obviously, a couple of Lions tours, assistant coach for England, for Ireland. Um, a very, very self-assured guy. He has a great presence, but a nice relaxed manner with him too. And he he likes likes to have the players kind of take the autonomy, take that responsibility. Obviously, he'll coach and he'll direct, and he's very much a hands-on coach. But um, I think he's going to give more power to the players and and hopefully let them let them kind of express themselves a bit more. Obviously, today wasn't a fantastic yeah. performance, but it's going to take time for him to to leave his imprint on this Irish team. And it is full time now at the Viva Stadium, and it is victory for Ireland confirmed. Um, a nervy victory, but a winning start, and uh, a winning start for Wales earlier on today as well with a big victory over um, big victory over Italy to Malta, and that's to be expected, really, isn't it? Yeah, look, Wales at home as well, you know, defending Six Nations champions um, and, like, I suppose, Wayne Pivak's new coach there after a long tenure of uh, of, of Warren Gatland. Um, but I think Wales are always going to be, uh, you know, as particularly in the Six Nations, a formidable force. Um, I think Josh Adams there, he got a hat-trick today. Um, so, look, them coming to, to Dublin next week, yeah. very difficult one for Ireland. I know... Um, They've had a, their fair share of injuries as well, um, moving George North to the centre. Um, so um, it'll be interesting to see how the game goes, but very much, I suppose, over the last few years, Ireland Wales games have always been very, very close. They're usually think, crackers as well, aren't they? They usually are. There's been a bit of bite, but yeah. maybe Gatlin kind of stirred things up as well. Yeah. Um, so it, I suppose with the media and that side <laughs> of things, he wasn't afraid to say what he, wa- what he, what he wanted. That's probably going to be missing this week and probably be a very respectful kind of press conference and build up to the game. But home advantage, hopefully, um, after a rusty enough start today, will we'll give Ireland a bit of momentum. And look, I'd be, I won't say very, very confident, but I'd be hopeful that we can get a win over Wales next week. And I, I think it's important that Ireland do, do get victories in the home games because their two away games this year are two very difficult away games. Yeah, like France are a coming force, particularly in the back line. Uh, you've seen with, with Racing Metro, Teddy Toma, Fekato in the centre, he's unbelievable. Um, Dupont at nine is a fantastic player. So like they've got a, a, an unbelievable talent in the back line. I think up front is where they'll probably be a bit susceptible to, to, to being overpowered or there's a bit of an experience there up front. Um, and I suppose conversely, England then going to, England are obviously going to the go to Paris tomorrow England have a very strong front five and I think that's probably where England might get the upper hand tomorrow and I suppose we have to travel to, to Twickenham as well yep. which traditionally has been very tough so look you might nick a win in Paris um, I wouldn't be overly confident but definitely if we can get three home wins I think that'll probably be a successful Six Nations for Ireland and France and England tomorrow then isn't it so how do you see that going I think I think England's forward power will probably just see them edge it um I think like uh, I played one or two of the the French forwards, um, one of the Montpellier, um, the likes of Paul Williams, uh, and yeah. so he's got named in the second row. Um, and look, he's probably he's got unbelievable talent, but I don't I don't think he's he, he's a guy to maybe go to battle with. Like you know, in terms when the going gets tough, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be a fellow. He'd depend on like you could depend on Paul O'Connell or one of those. And I think that. 
that kind of raw um, kind of tough edge that England have up front uh, particularly in the front five um, very experienced set up there I think that'll just see them edge it, edge away and away from home and they'll probably be still be hurting from uh, the way they finished the World Cup after yeah. you know an unbelievable result against New Zealand and kind of a bit of a a, a bit a big underperformance in the World Cup final so I think they'll probably be looking to, to put that right as well so I think, uh, I think England will edge it tomorrow um, just a local rugby story I spotted during the week Tomasa and uh, obviously you went to school in CBC and played there and I, I was CBC people myself as well um, they had a game during the week and they beat Castle Troy College uh, 32-21 at uh, Musgrave Park or Irish Independent Park but Christian supporters weren't allowed to attend the game so the, the pupils from the school weren't allowed to attend the game and, and you'd remember from your time playing I think as well um, there's always great support and great colour at the school's rugby games um, the report in the Echo said that uh, the Munster branch um, wouldn't allow their supporters attend and their supporters were absent from the game uh, due to a pitch invasion following their victory over Prez in last year's final is that a bit over the top I mean I, I mean, it's, it's exuberance and it, it, that was always a part of it there was always pitch yeah. invasions there was always that kind of thing you can understand uh, pitch invasions of Premier League games and international games and things they're not allowed even though the other night in Villa Park they had a pitch invasion yeah, uh, uh, yeah. these things happen but I mean, in a school's game and banning kids from the school from going to the, the, the team's match, um, I know that the school kind of condemned it and a lot of parents were, were uh, in the press giving out about it and stuff as well. What's your view? Yeah, I think it's a pity. Um, I think it's a crazy decision, really. You know, looking back on my school's days, you know, they were really special and the, the senior cup games, junior cup games, having the colour in yeah. St. Musgrave Park or Thomond Park, wherever it is, that's what... And like this could be the, I guess, the... Pinnacle or the highlight of a lot of these guys' careers. They might go on to play with college or they might play a year or two rugby. A lot of lads fall away from rugby after after school. So even looking back myself, obviously lucky enough to play with Munster with with Ireland and uh, play a bit of hurling as well in, in, in kind of unbelievable stadiums. But you know the days of school's rugby and, and the the songs and the the, the colour. I think like they're some of my best days so and the pitch invasion then after the game is just just something special I think and I, I think if they take that away from schools rugby it'll be a, it'll be a sad day so and just banning lads from going to games I think it's a bit it's a bit childish I think I think it is too I think it's a massive overreaction being honest uh, we're switching away from rugby for a little while we'll just get you the latest score from Old Trafford 57 minutes on the clock there now Manchester United and Wolves and uh, both very close to each other on the table it is still Manchester United nil Wolves nil there 57 minutes on the clock as I said um, so if, if it stays like that United will drop to 6th place Sheffield United winning today puts them up to 5th place on 36 points United will drop to 6th place on 35 and actually only marginally ahead of uh, Wolves on goal difference they're both on 35 points if the game stays as a draw and uh, it will give Spurs an opportunity tomorrow then your team Tomas to actually possibly now it could change obviously in the next half an hour possibly overtake the two of them and uh, overtake Sheffield United as well and move into fifth if they were to beat Man City tomorrow how do you rate Spurs chances against Man City? Not good the way we're going um, but Man City aren't going great either all season No but I suppose since we're missing Harry Kane yeah. we've just been pretty toothless yeah. up front um, so yeah and to be fair, under under kind of Mourinho's new new kind of tenure, we've struggled, I think, as well. Um, so now I wouldn't be very confident ahead of tomorrow's game. But you just kind of listed all the potential uh, results, and, and, and there's a lot of ifs and buts there as well. Yeah, like um, 
but it's that illustrates how tight it is yeah. in the I suppose back from the top top of the league you know the the chase for top kind of four places is very very close um, and it kind of illustrates too how how much United have fallen when you know they're they're on, on par with with kind of Wolves and these teams yeah. in the in the Premiership and look hopefully Fernandez will give him a bit of a kick start like you were saying hopefully he might have the same impact as uh, one Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> I signed another Portuguese <laughs> fellow there years ago called Ronaldo and he did alright uh, but you're mentioning how tight it is I mean if you look at the table here there's only six points separating Sheffield United in fifth and Burnley in 14th so I mean one or two wins either way for any of those teams can change the complexion of a total you look at Arsenal are down there in 12th and 30 points as well I mean it's so so close if you're outside of the top four and even even Chelsea aren't that far ahead at 41 points at Sheffield United uh, it's really only Man City and especially Liverpool obviously who, who are pulling away and Liverpool are just like I mean it's, it's so so dominant yeah like it seems to be a league that that is like a lot of teams that are very kind of average level um, and I suppose you know people are saying Lampard's doing really well because he's maybe yeah. just got his head above the, the rest of them he's just about ahead of them yeah like two or three wins now and they'll all be singing Ole at the wheel again um, so yeah you know what I mean <laughs> they will, that, you know, that, that's how close yeah. it is and that, I mean two or three wins United finish in the top four yeah. they're still in, in contention in, in the FA Cup as well I mean it could turn out to be a decent season for Sean yet. you never know not well, the way they're looking at the moment they just score today but yeah, look, I don't. I think United, like United fans, in particular, I think it's sad to see how, how far they've fallen. It is, yeah. Um, and I, like I said, I, I've never been a big United fan. I, lo- I love the way they played football back in the day, and you know, obviously with Dennis Orman, Roy Keane, that kind of John O'Shea, big Irish influence, you'd always kind of have. You know, you'd be hoping they do well, but. Um, yeah, hopefully Fernandez will give him a kick start and maybe, look, Paul Pogba, I don't know what his situation is, but he's been a disaster of a signing, really. He has um, been a disaster. Uh, I, I was saying to a lot of people, actually, I don't think he'd have lasted as long if Alex Ferguson was still the manager. I think he'd have been booted out a long time ago. He booted out bigger players than Pogba in his time. Yeah, or else he he might have kind of put his arm around him like uh, Alec Cantona. Well, that's true it, as well, yeah. yeah. You know, and maybe got the best out of him. Um, wasn't it Cantona seemed to could do no wrong in, in Ferguson's yeah. eyes? Um, but look, Cantona, like obviously, he, he delivered for United Pogba's done nothing really um, and for the money they've spent he already seems to want to be planning and his plotting his, his next move so he seems to spend more time you know in the fashion shows and, and at, <laughs> at, at parties and, in, in Paris or in uh, in Abu Dhabi or wherever like but look um, hopefully it'd be good to see him on the pitch too Absolutely uh, you mentioned in Cantona he did great things on the pitch he, he'll always be remembered for the, the Kung Fu kick off the pitch as well and it was the 25th anniversary of that this week I read during the week. Yeah, I don't know that I hear some of the ex-players talk about actually how Ferguson managed it, and was it was it a draw game at, at, at after? It was against Crystal Palace, and he was in uh, Sellers Park. Yeah, yeah, I think they drew, and uh, Ferguson obviously came in, and he was he was raging, and I think he had a cut off. Whether he went to oh, Palestine, you know, your your disaster, and oh, Nicky Butt, you're playing terrible. List. You're going you're going to be up <laughs> running in the morning, and. He absolutely slayed about six or seven little players. Giggsy, you thought you were crap and all that kind of stuff. And then he was like, and Eric, you can't be doing that, son. And like, so <laughs> the, the players, the, the, Could the, do yeah, yeah, the, I think he was a golden child. And, you know, he's just after doing a kung fu kick and, and Ferguson is still putting his arm around him. But like, I suppose that illustrates how successful a man manager he was. Absolutely. Uh, still scoreless at Old Trafford, Man United nil, Wolves nil. We're going to switch to um, matters closer to home. Cork City back in action uh, today in a pre-season friendly. They had a 3-1 win down in Bandon in a pre-season friendly. They've got another friendly against Cove Ramblers. I think it's up in Mayfield that game tomorrow. And then the league gets underway on Val- 
Valentine's night. So uh, that's my Valentine's date now, sorted out. I have to be in Turner's Cross on Valentine's night. Are you bringing a special lady? Yeah, uh, we'd have we'd have to organise something. I reckon. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> to just all any any of the female listeners we have here, I right? yeah, feel yeah. totally we, underdressed. We, Colm is uh, <laughs> is dressed to the nines here. He must be going straight into town or going to a wedding or something. I was giving away a wedding this morning. That's why I got the suit on um, on the ten to two show. So um, yeah, that's the Valentine's date sorted anyway against Shelburne at Turner's Cross for Cork City, the first game of the season in two weeks' time. But uh, they signed a couple of players during the week. Three new signings for the Rebel Army, actually. Joe Redmond, uh, he's a centre-half, a 19-year-old centre-half, who's come in from Birmingham City. A guy called Rayon Dillon, who uh, previously played with Crystal Palace. And Henry Ochiang, who's an under-23 Kenyan international. And Neil Fenn, when he was assistant manager at uh, Leighton Orient over in the UK, he um, actually had him there as well. So uh, we were chatting to Neil Fenn, uh, the Cork City manager, during the week at the press day. And uh, here's what he had to say about the new recruits. We're light in defence. Um, Conor McCarthy obviously leaving was, was a blow to us. We didn't want it to happen, but it did. So we feel that we've replaced him with, with certainly a, a, a good prospect. Joe Redmond, uh, an Irish kid who I would have known a, few, a good few years ago before he went from playing for Joey's and just been aware of him. So when it came up, the possibility that we could take him, he came in and trained with us just to, to see what he thought of the place really. And he liked it here, really thought that it was somewhere he wanted to come. Birmingham are happy that, he, that he's coming here and he's going to be playing um, and training full time so it's, it ticks all the boxes for what we want Henry would have been someone that I would have had at Leighton Orient when yeah. I was there so I know Henry been aware of him tried to get him last year um, didn't happen but managed to get it this year and Rayon is a, is, a, is a striker that I've seen playing in, in non-league football when I, was, when I was in England at Orient and played against um, one of our younger teams and thought he did okay a little bit of a project but um, but happy that he's here we're hoping two more loans to come over the weekend it's because our loan window doesn't shut until February the 22nd there's no major rush to get those two done from the clubs they're coming from are very busy today especially with the with it being transfer deadline day so they've asked us can we put it off for a couple of days just until they can get everything else sorted out so we're happy to do that those boys will come in next week hopefully we feel we've, we've assembled a competitive squad we feel that we've got you know, we, we, it's been well documented that we're, we're young, but we feel that we're going to be young, fit, organised and, and some good attacking players in there as well and some good defenders. Joe's just coming from the 23s. The main reason that, that Birmingham, they want to give him games. Mm-hmm. Um, they felt that he was ready to start playing regular first-team football, which a lot of lads in the, in, the, in the 23s are in England. It's very difficult at this stage of the season, I find, anyway, if you're, if you're a club who's in England and you're looking to bring a lone player in, are you going to... If you need a centre-back, you're really going to give a young kid a chance if you need to get out of trouble or you're trying to win the league or whatever. So from here, he can come in here. He's trained with us for a while. He's not under massive pressure straight away that you know he's got a few weeks here. He's, got, he's been here last week, so he's got three or four weeks here just to integrate himself a little bit before the season starts. But very good, very good player, very good distribution, cool-headed um, and, and a great lad as well. He's, he's a dub, so... That's the only downside. Neil Fenn, the Cork City manager, talking about some of their new signings that they signed um, during the week. Um, and Cork City back in action. Another preseason friendly tomorrow against Cove Ramblers. And of course, back in action, 40th of February, Valentine's Night, Cork City and Shells, the opening game of the new League of Ireland season. But uh, now we're going to talk GAA Tomas because um, Cork back in action against Tip tonight. And we're going to head down to Andrew Horgan, who's down at Porky Cueve. Um First of all, um, Andrew, a good win in the Camogie today. Yeah, very good win for Park and Ned Camogie, their opening game, uh, Sparky Grieve, and uh, to beat Waterford, 118 to uh, 12 points. Uh, Sisha McCarthy with the goal in the first half, and um, 
they never looked back from that really. I think there were eight points gone to the start of the second half and they ended up winning quite comfortably. So it's a good start for them. Brilliant. And uh, only a few minutes to go now for a throw in Cork and Tip in the National Hurling League. Um, how do you think Cork is shaping up this year, Andrew, first of all? Um, obviously, they had a disappointing start last weekend, losing narrowly to Waterford. They made a great start in that game, but ultimately fell short, losing by one point in the end. So um, it'd be an interesting test for them tonight, of course, against the All-Ireland Champions, Tipperary. They lost last weekend as well. So this would be a, a good gauge of where they're at at the moment. And uh, fingers crossed they can get the win. Andrew Tomas here obviously big opportunity for the likes of Decky Dalton Alan Galling coming into the forward line um, I suppose disappointed performance from Cork's uh, forwards last weekend maybe Barry Kingston so how do you think it's a big day for those kind of guys? Yes it's good to see Alan Callaghan back and he's in the right corner forward uh, they're lining up as, uh, as announced yesterday last night and it's good to see him back and they'll obviously be looking for him to fire a few, couple of goals maybe and a few points as well to get them back on track but um also interesting change as well Patrick Collins is in goal for Anthony Nash and Cullum's plan is also making a return a right corner back so it's a good opportunity for these players and I said hopefully they can take it tonight against Tipperary and What kind of a team do Tipperary have? What can we expect from them? Um, they have made no changes from what, or one change sorry from what, which they announced um, that it is Joe O'Dwyer is coming in at right corner back instead of Cottle Barrett so um, again they'd be looking to bounce back they were beaten up by Limerick last weekend so they, want, they don't want to lose the second game on the trot same with Cork so I'm sure we can expect a strong performance from both sides um, Cork with home advantage tonight in Parky Cueve Andrew uh, will there be many Cork fans down there is there much of a crowd expected? I think they're expecting close to 12,000 is one of the sports people at, uh, with Cork told me but um, I said so far it doesn't look like there's the biggest crowd I think maybe they're staying in from the cold and it is on RTE as well so that does affect it but um I said there's still time for the crowd to fill in and hopefully there will be close to that 12,000 mark as well. Yeah, you'd imagine the, the game being on TV and I suppose the rugby game just finishing up as well might affect it a bit. But uh, hopefully it'll be a rebel victory down in Porky Creek tonight, a Cork victory against Tip. Andrew Horgan, thanks a million for chatting to us. Thank you. All right, that's Andrew Horgan there down at Porky Creeve. Uh, Tomás, just a few bits to wrap up a bit of tennis and golf and so on today as well. Yeah, so the tennis obviously so via Kenin has beaten... You love those tennis names. That was one of the easier ones there. <laughs> Very easy. She's beaten Muguruza in Melbourne to, oh, win, the, more difficult, yeah. to, win, to win the Australian <laughs> Open. Muguruza started well, but Kenin learned from the first set and responded with the two best sets of her career to win the first Grand Slam title. And obviously in golf, uh, local man, well, not so local, but Graham McDowell holds the lead in the Saudi International Port Rush golfer Carter Fonder par third round of 66 today to move to 12 under par Brilliant. he leads by one from Victor de Buisson uh, of France so I always find it entertaining listening to to him his accent is, 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 is hilarious yeah, yeah, like, so, yeah. so Americanized. but yeah. look hopefully for, for G-Mac there that he can um, he can pull off a victory for, for Ireland anyway he's a cool guy the way he's, he's embraced the G-Mac as a kind of a brand at this stage as well yeah fair play to him and he's kind of look obviously a major winner yeah. um, you know Ireland look we've I suppose we, we kind of just bang him out the major winners don't we in the golf yeah I'm thinking of taking up golf myself so another maybe 10-15 years we'll we have to go for a game someday and see how we get <laughs> on might, might add to that list we'll see <laughs> brilliant alright uh, it's been a busy day of sport in general um, today when Ireland had a 19-12 victory over Scotland in the Six Nations opener at the Aviva Stadium uh, Wales victorious earlier on as well over Italy in their game it's France and England tomorrow myself at Tomas you can catch us on Facebook and on Instagram a little bit later on we'll do a little video wrap up and round up of the Six Nations action 
information for you and uh, just kind of fill things in ahead of next week as well tomorrow so uh, if people want to tune into that later on that's going to be online as well uh, busy day in the Premier League as we said as well and the headline story there is another victory for Liverpool they move I think it's 22 points clear if I'm not mistaken at the top of the Premier League Liverpool 4 Southampton nil was the final score at Anfield there so a big win for Liverpool there as well today uh, Tomas thanks for joining us um, thanks Colin it, it the great. hour flew it was fantastic great having you and look next time you're on I'll be, I'll be suitably dressed <laughs> I, I'll dress down the next time you, dra- you dress up we, we, we meet in the middle somewhere not a bother uh, Tomas O'Leary thanks a million for joining us as always uh, Rory's going to be here with Tomas tomorrow I'll be back with you uh, on the bench again next Saturday back on air uh, on the 10 to 2 show tomorrow morning from 10am as well enjoy your Saturday night whatever you're doing if you're heading out have a great one uh, stand by for Mr Stevie G he's on the way next